Jeff prosecuted crimes, not people. He would prosecute anybody, but wouldn't persecute anybody. Welcome back to Recused, a podcast about Jeff Sessions. I'm your host, Amy Yerkinen. On the first episode, we talked about a couple odd things that happened after members of the Senate Judiciary Committee denied Jeff Sessions a seat on the federal bench. It happened after allegations emerged that he used racist language. After the hearing and the historic vote against Sessions, two black men who said they'd been targets of Sessions' racial slurs found themselves on the wrong ends of federal investigations. One of them went to prison for five years for accepting $3,000 federal prosecutors described as bribes. He said they were campaign contributions. Some are certain Sessions used his office to retaliate against his political enemies. Though Sessions always denied those allegations, there are many sides to Jeff Sessions and he doesn't neatly fit into any boxes. In this episode, we're going back to the mid-90s. When Jeff Sessions became the Attorney General of Alabama, he confronted a situation like the one he recently faced under President Donald Trump. It involved a governor, an investigation described by Republicans as a witch hunt, and, in this instance, one marble shower stall. But first, let's talk about Alabama politics and a former governor named Guy Hunt. Hunt became the first Republican governor of Alabama since Reconstruction when he won in 1986. It was a historic upset against the dominant Democrats, who started fighting with each other after the primary and ultimately removed the winner of that race from the general election ballot, which turned out to be a bad move. Guy Hunt was a farmer, a preacher, and a former Amway salesman who had found political success in rural Coleman County. He'd run for governor a couple of times before, and nobody expected him to win in 1986. Here's Richard Allen, a former deputy attorney general under Jeff Sessions. Guy Hunt was a Republican when being a Republican in Alabama was not cool. He he grew up in rural Coleman County as a farmer. I think he had an egg farming operation, that sort of thing. He was, I believe, fairly bright. He was number two in his class at Holly Pond, good good high school student. But I think his family probably didn't have the money to send him to college, so he went in the Army, served in the Army for a few years, and he came back to, to the farming operation. At a very young age, he was elected probate judge in Coleman County. And then, I guess, you know, the political bug bit him. He ran for governor a time or two before his election, but he was, and he was also a primitive Baptist minister, which is a you know, very fundamentalist religious sect. But he was just a farm boy who got into politics and was successful, but his last success was, was winning the governorship. As I told you earlier, everybody thought that was a fluke because the Democrats shot themselves in the foot. After his surprise election, Hunt had a successful first term but some of the skeletons from his past began to haunt him. Hunt's conduct had raised concerns in the past when he led an agriculture division. He resigned immediately after the investigation concluded in 1985, but never faced charges. Voters elected him governor the following year. Soon after his re-election in 1990, reporters uncovered some bombshells. Hunt used state planes to travel to preaching engagements where he accepted monetary love offerings and state bodyguards had performed chores on his farm, including worming cows, reported the Associated Press. A lawsuit filed by a voter challenging the governor's practice of flying state planes to preaching gigs prompted Democratic Attorney General Jimmy Evans to investigate Hunt's finances. Those findings led to more than a dozen charges against the governor. None of them had anything to do with the preaching trips. Instead, they discovered inappropriate spending from inaugural funds. 
Hunt dismissed the discrepancies as simple mistakes. Hunt's allies said the case was politically motivated, a witch hunt even. It might sound a little familiar if you've been following Trump's public bash fest against special counsel Robert Mueller's Russia investigation and the man who recused himself from it. But at least we didn't have Twitter back in 1994. Anyway, back to Hunt. While the Democratic attorney general investigated him, a Democratic lieutenant governor waited in the wings. At this key moment in Alabama history, when the state seemed poised to pivot from Democrat to Republican, politics was everywhere, including, Hunt alleged, in the courtroom, where jurors delivered a guilty verdict. His conviction hung on $200,000, shifted from a special inauguration account to Hunt's personal funds. He used it to buy cows and building supplies, car tires for his secretary, a new shower stall, the marble one, and a salary bump for his son, who worked as the governor's security guard. Nothing too seedy as far as corruption scandals go. One reporter described the proceedings as a snooze. Attorneys for Hunt argued that he used excess inauguration funds to pay back personal debts, and that it was a common practice in Montgomery. But the jury didn't buy it. The court determined he violated state ethics laws. The felony removed Hunt from office, but he appealed and didn't go to prison. Soon he started popping up all over the state, professing his innocence, including at campaign events for Jeff Sessions, who was running as a Republican against Jimmy Evans for the state attorney general spot. On the campaign trail, Sessions avoided comment on the Hunt case, but Hunt didn't. He even made a surprise appearance at Jeff Sessions' official campaign kickoff event, according to articles from the time. My name is Neil Acker, and I've been active in Republican politics in Alabama since 1966. Acker, an old friend of Sessions, knew both men involved in the race. Jimmy and I were in law school together, so I, really? I've known him a long time. and he's, he's a nice fellow, but he plays hardball politics, and... Some of our problem in that in Jeff's first campaign for attorney general was getting people to openly support Jeff. They were, I won't say afraid, but they, they did not want to cross swords with Jimmy Evans. Jimmy Evans prosecuted the Hunt case himself and cut an imposing figure in the courtroom. Jeff Sessions, on the other hand, came across as quiet and methodical. In many ways, the race between the two turned on these differences. Sessions positioned himself as the law and order guy and veteran administrator. Evans touted his high-profile legal victories. Political pundits expected Jimmy Evans to win, but 1994 turned out to be a historic year for Republicans all over the country, including Alabama. Sessions won, and so did Fob James, the Republican candidate for governor. It felt like a tipping point for the Alabama GOP. Sessions took over an office in shambles. Rent was overdue, phone bills hadn't been paid in at least nine months by the time Evans left office. Outside attorneys had billed almost three times the amount allowed in Alabama for work on major cases. It was the first crisis Sessions confronted upon taking charge. Here's Richard Allen. Jimmy Evans was a good prosecutor, but that's about all he was interested in. He was not a good administrator. So the office was in, in a terrible financial situation. And there were some, there were some causes for it. When, when Jimmy was first elected, he got a couple of settlements and some big cases that poured like four or five, six million dollars into his office. 
And so I think Jimmy got the impression that he could do that all during his tenure and didn't need to rely on the legislature to give him an appropriation because he'd get, generate the money himself through these big lawsuit settlements. Well, the lawsuit settlements didn't come anymore, that, not, not to that magnitude. So by the time Jeff and I got there, the office was about a $5 million deficit based on its budget and what it needed and what it had coming in. And the budgets at that time were about $13, $14 million. We were down by about $5 million. So it was a, it was a real, real urgent situation. And it required some, some strong actions. And one of the first things to do is, is, you know, the budget is basically salaries for lawyers and staff. So the, the only place you can cut is to cut lawyers and staff. So we had to release about 76 people. Now, staff turnover usually happens when a new attorney general takes over. One funny detail from an AP article essentially blamed the cuts for decimating the office's championship softball team. But the reversal in party leadership after more than 100 years of Democratic dominance also ushered in other changes. Newly empowered Republicans flooded the office with complaints against their Democratic rivals, Allen said. It kept the staff very busy. Because of the change from Republican, Democrat to Republican, all Republicans around the state who wanted to persecute their enemies started filing complaints about what was done wrong by these, all these Democrats who'd been ousted. Jeff hired a chief investigator named Ed McFadden, who he'd known in Mobile, and Jeff de de described Ed as the best investigator in America. He was very, very good. He also hired a number of former FBI and ATF people, retired FBI and ATF people, so he had some professional investigative staff. And he held over the good ones that, you know, that were there before, like Jesse Sawyer, kept the guys like that. But it was kind of a change of staff and got a much more professional investigators. And they had, Ed said that when he first got there, he found a box full of complaints that had been never been looked at. They were sitting in a box. But other complaints started rolling in. And so one of his jobs was to try to go through these things and decide what was a good case, what was not a good case. And a lot of people allege things that aren't even crimes, but you have to review them and see. And then a lot of our crimes, but then you have to start initiating an investigation. So there was plenty of business. It was just, you know, it came in in, in droves and waves. Employees in the office at the time said the work was relentless. Between going through the old files and investigating new complaints, investigators had their hands full. Unlike the U.S. Attorney General, the state attorney general is elected and runs as a member of a political party. However, he must still choose cases based on evidence and rule of law, not political vendetta. Sessions had a reputation for rooting out political corruption. He had taken on several cases in Mobile as a U.S. attorney down there, including one from the first episode involving an African-American county commissioner. Richard Allen served as his deputy and said his boss kept politics out of his legal work. If Republicans thought they could use him to vanquish Democratic enemies, they were wrong. Jeff prosecuted crimes, not people. He would prosecute anybody, but wouldn't persecute anybody, okay? He was a straight arrow as they came as far as prosecution. The office was, was very professionally run in reflection of his professional experience. He, he was a very, very good prosecutor, but he was also a, a good person, and he would not do anything wrong. Jeff believed in the Constitution. He believed in the rule of law. He believed in doing the right things the right way. He didn't let political considerations affect him either way. Guy Hunt had already been convicted by the time Sessions was elected. He had been removed from office and replaced by a Democratic lieutenant governor, Jim Folsom Jr. But Hunt was still fighting his conviction. By the time Sessions took office, Hunt had his case before a federal appeals court, and the Alabama attorney general faced a decision. 
Attorneys from the office had to defend the conviction in the appeals case. Sessions could have decided not to do so and allowed Hunt to go unchallenged as he argued his case. Republicans and some Democrats urged him to drop it. Sessions had some sympathy for the former governor, according to his former chief of staff, Armin de Kaiser. A lot of people did. It was one of the reasons he decided to run. Although he declined to comment on the case during the campaign, it had troubled him at the time. I think he was not happy with the way the attorney general's office was being run. And the Republicans were just starting to, to increase in visibility and power. He was elected the same year Bob James was elected governor and uh, who had def defeated Folsom, Folsom yeah. Jim Folsom, who had taken over from Guy Hunt, who had been kicked out of office. And so Jeff just sort of felt that was a good time. Jimmy Evans was one of the people that helped remove Guy Hunt from the office, and I think Jeff felt that in many ways that was unfair and not done well, and he felt that the Attorney General's office may have been used too politically for, for you know, than it should, more than it should have been. But there were people on both sides pushing Jeff on that thing. You know, a lot of Republicans were saying he's, he's suffered enough. Don't make it, he, he lost the, the gov office of governor. That, that's enough. And we had Democrats that came to see Jeff also saying the same thing. He's, he's just, just an old farm boy, didn't know what he was doing, got taken advantage of, just mistakes, and he suffered enough. You need to, you know, let it go. But Jeff did the right thing. Jeff believes in the rule of law. Mm -hmm. And his, his view was uh, it's a close case, but when the grand jury, a jury, the Court of Criminal Appeals, the Alabama Supreme Court, and federal courts have said guilty, he wasn't going to step in to try to set that aside. Sessions took a good look at the Hunt case before he made the decision. Ultimately, he assigned an attorney to defend the state's case in federal court. He did it because courts had already indicted Hunt, convicted him, and upheld that decision. Politics may have inspired the investigation, but facts and laws had swayed judges and juries. By the time the case appeared before the U.S. Appeals Court, it had been presented to a grand jury, a jury, and a state criminal appeals court. All of them said Hunt broke the law. If he stopped the case now, Sessions would have undermined the judicial process. It didn't sit right with him, DeKaiser said. While he may have disagreed with the outcome of a case and or the prosecution, he does and always has believed in what's called the rule of law. And the courts and the prosecution had gone, gotten a conviction. He just felt that he had to continue on with enforcing what the policies and the previous administration had done to ensure that the rule of law was followed. Because other judges had already ruled mm -hmm. in a certain Cor way, or yeah. courts had ruled. In a certain way. There didn't appear to be anything done improperly in the prosecution of the case or the trying of the case. There was a complaint that maybe the case should have never been brought, but the previous Attorney General brought it. Guy Hunt was convicted. I mean, he was. And whether you like it or not, he was convicted. So. Sessions did drop the charges against two of Hunt's associates, but the governor lost his appeal and got sentenced to probation. He completed it and paid his fines, and in 1998 received a full pardon by Republican Governor Bob James. Hunt did not return to politics and died in 2009. 
He was not the only governor convicted of felonies and removed from office. And not long after his ouster, rumors in Montgomery began congealing into investigations. After a quick break, we'll talk about another investigation that unfolded under Sessions Watch. Hey folks, this is Ike Morgan. I'm a journalist with AL.com and they let me host this little daily news briefing that we call Down in Alabama. It's designed both for Alexa users and podcast listeners, and it'll take up less than five minutes of your time. Each weekday, we briefly talk about three to five stories that relate to Alabama. Now, sometimes it might include the top news of the day, but we also like to mention something you might have otherwise missed, or news trends that help tell the story of our state, or items that are just the most Alabama things we've heard lately. Again, we're called Down in Alabama, you can search for us on the major podcast platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. If you have an Alexa device, we're a perfect Alabama addition to your flash briefing. Either way, y'all come on by and listen anytime. We'll be down in Alabama. Welcome back, Reckon listeners. The man who followed Guy Hunt into office also faced accusations of wrongdoing. This time, it was Jim Folsom Jr., a Democrat descended from Alabama political royalty. He took over after Hunt was removed from office in 1993. In Alabama, governor and lieutenant governor run independent races, so Hunt's removal from office led the way to a Democrat taking the job. Folsom's father, Big Jim Folsom, served two terms as Alabama governor in the 40s and 50s. In the run-up to the primary, Democratic rivals accused Folsom of receiving free work and materials for his lake house from a powerful Alabama businessman. They said that he had help paying his credit card bills, that he had arranged a state-funded job for his wife, and funneled tax dollars to a friend. During the 1994 campaign, Sessions accused Democratic Attorney General Jimmy Evans of dragging his feet on an investigation of the Folsom administration. Evans said he was still gathering evidence to determine whether any wrongdoing had occurred involving his fellow Democrat. After voters elected Sessions, many assumed an indictment of Folsom would follow. As it turned out, the investigation, which involved both the state attorney general and the U.S. attorney in Montgomery, had discovered theft from state accounts. Politicians close to Folsom had awarded part of a state grant to an attorney for legal work that never happened. The money went into his pocket instead of the community it was supposed to help. All of those involved were allegedly part of the Gamecock Mafia, a group of friends including Folsom that graduated from Jacksonville State University. One of the men involved in the scheme worked as a legal advisor to Governor Folsom. Although the investigation had come up in the campaign, Sessions' office never brought charges against Folsom. The former governor, who was defeated in 1994, never faced any charges under the probe. Those who expected Sessions to go hard on Democrats and soft on Republicans never saw it coming. But former colleagues from his U.S. attorney days did. Here's Willie Huntley, an attorney who worked with Sessions. In 1987, I was working as an assistant district attorney in Macon County, Alabama. My secretary, my then secretary, comes in my office and she says, Jeff Sessions is on the phone. I'm saying, why in the hell is he calling me? Because, <laughs> you know, he had just been denied a federal judgeship, and, of course, he was being painted with the racist term. And I'm wondering, why is he calling me? Well, I get on the phone, and actually, I, I said this. I haven't done anything in Mobile to get indicted for. What's he calling me? 
<laughs> so I get on the phone and he wants to talk about offering me a job. And uh, so a couple of weeks later, we met in Montgomery and we met for, you know, I'm thinking we were going to meet for, have dinner, hour. We met for three hours. And he offered me a job and I took it and it's been history ever since then. The sessions Huntley met wasn't the same one pilloried in the Senate committee hearing the year before. In fact, the attorney is so convinced that Sessions isn't a racist that he submitted testimony on his character when Sessions was nominated as a United States Attorney General. As far as political pressure goes, Huntley said it never faced his former boss. Soon after he started at the U.S. Attorney's Office in Mobile, he had an experience that convinced him of that. When I was in assistant, this U.S. Customs agent comes to me and he says, Willie, all of these seafood houses in Baila Battery are mislabeling their product. They're labeling it as fresh Gulf seafood when it's coming from everywhere. So this agent and I sit down and we go through all the evidence. He shows me everything that he has. And I say, okay, here's the order. Go shut him down. He goes and shuts him down. That was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. About 4 o'clock in the afternoon, guess who comes walking through my door? <laughs> Jeff comes in and he says, Willie, tell me about what's going on in Bayou La Battery. Because I hadn't told him, didn't get authority, because, you know, he said, do what you need to do. And so I said, we have A, B, C, and D. Based on all that, this is the decision that I made, and this is where we are now. And he was going, hmm, hmm, okay, all right. So he leaves my office. Little do I know that... He had received phone calls from the mayor by the battery, U.S. congressmen, U.S. senators, and they were telling him they need, he needed to withdraw that. And he told them he wasn't going to do it. And he didn't do it. He said they need to comply with the law. Because, you know, he could have easily told me, Willie, call that agent and draw this back. Because I didn't know he was under that. I mean, he was under tremendous pressure. Mm -hmm. um, but he didn't cave in to it. These days, the seafood business rakes in at least $500 million a year in Alabama, and it has significant economic impact in the southern part of the state. Still, Sessions didn't cave when powerful people begged him to back off the business, Huntley said. Like a lot of those who worked with Sessions in South Alabama, he followed his boss to Montgomery to work in the Alabama Attorney General's office. And like a lot of people who have worked with Sessions over the years, he was dismayed by the treatment he received from President Donald Trump. Soon after he was confirmed as United States Attorney General, Jeff Sessions faced a situation similar in some ways to the one he dealt with in Alabama. After a federal report found meddling in the 2016 election by members of the Russian government, meetings between Jeff Sessions and a Russian ambassador came under scrutiny. Soon after, Sessions recused himself from any investigation of Russian meddling and handed oversight off to one of his deputies. That man appointed Robert Mueller to lead the investigation. Trump and several Republicans have said the investigation was politically motivated. For more than a year, he endured withering attacks by his boss because he recused himself. Trump questioned his loyalty, his strength, and even his intelligence, according to one book. But when Richard Allen looks at Sessions, he sees the same man with the same values as the one who ran the Alabama Attorney General's office. You know, I voted for Trump. He's abused Jeff terribly, but I'll probably vote for him again. 
okay? But he has, he has not done the right thing by Jeff Sessions. Politicians in Washington, as you've seen in this latest furor over the Supreme Court nominee, they don't understand what the rule of law means. They just don't understand it. And Trump doesn't understand what the rule of law means. Jeff had no choice but to recuse himself when all this stuff bubbled up. Willie Huntley agrees with Richard Allen. Watching Trump attack Sessions has been difficult for the man who stood up to defend his old boss. I have been angered. I have been upset. I've been disappointed because he didn't deserve it. It was totally unearned. In my opinion, he did what he was supposed to do. He got out of that situation because he was somewhat implicated in it and he did what he needed to do legally. Becoming United States Attorney General was a dream come true for Sessions. And those who know him aren't surprised he endured the attacks instead of resigning. While Trump undermined him on Twitter, Sessions quietly remade the Justice Department in a way that emphasized law and order. Jim is a, a quiet person who is a very strong moral, has a strong moral belief in, uh, you know, he's been a strong Christian his whole life. Taught Sunday school, taught my kids Sunday school, been very involved in the Methodist Church for many years. He believes that the law has limits, and the, but those limits should be respected, and, but we will enforce the law to those limits. There's another way Sessions' time as Alabama Attorney General resembled his time as U.S. Attorney General. Neither gig lasted very long. Less than a year after he was sworn in as Alabama Attorney General, Sessions decided to run for a seat in the U.S. Senate. Here's Neil Acker, who helped with a couple of the campaigns. Shortly after he was elected Attorney General, we were doing the transition phase. I was taking him back to his hotel room one night, and he, uh, he said, let's have a beer, talk a few minutes. And he brought up the fact that he was thinking very seriously about the Senate race. And he didn't say this, but if you recall, Harold Heflin was the incumbent senator. And uh, Hal Heflin had not supported him when he was up for federal judgeship, so he might have had a little bit of animosity towards Senator Heflin. But it turned out Senator Heflin decided to retire a few months after that. But Jeff made it pretty clear that night that he was interested in running, and so I told him I'd help him in that if he wanted me to. On the next episode, we'll examine the issue that helped define his career as a U.S. Senator, immigration. How did a senator from Alabama become one of the leading crusaders against immigration reform? And how will that fight define his legacy? Thanks for listening. Recused was produced and edited by yours truly for Reckon Radio. Special thanks to John Hammontree, Lita Gore, Challen Stevens, and Kelly Scott. And thanks to Ramsey Archibald, who designed the logo. If you like this episode, you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Please review us and share us on Facebook.